I want you to get your Bibles, if you would, and and turn to the book of Luke. Some of you are going to turn on your phones. You're going to turn on your iPad. Hopefully, you didn't bring your your home computer with you this morning. Uh, Maybe you have one of these. This is a a paper Bible. Um, You still use one of those. Uh, Open to Luke chapter 19. Now, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been in a series called Block Party. And uh, and, and it's our hope throughout this series that... Um, not only that you would feel a sense of owning the lostness of, of, of our community, but that you would understand the role that God wants you to play in partnering with him to see our community, which is northwest Atlanta, come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then we also, it's our goal to equip you with the right information and tools so that you can partner with God, with God to get the job done. And we talked about in, in week one about the importance of beginning with prayer and just Praying for your neighbors, and we define neighbor as anyone that God brings a, a, along your path. And, 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 and we want you to, 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 to understand that if you're truly going to be used by God, it begins with prayer. And then last week we looked at this crazy story of how Jesus rescued this demon-possessed man by, by casting uh, his many, many demons into about 2,000 pigs. And, uh, and then we talked, these pigs actually jumped off of a cliff and killed themselves. Um, and, and, but we... We talked about how that, that Jesus actually gave this man authority to share this amazing story of life change that he has just experienced with his, with his neighbors and, and with his family members. And we emphasize the fact that we've actually been given that very same authority by Jesus to engage our neighbors and our community with a life-changing message of the gospel. And some of you may be going, what's the gospel? The gospel message is the message that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and then he rose uh, from the dead three days later to conquer death so that we may have victory over sin and death and its consequences. Which brings us to this morning. Now, if you grew up in church or uh, maybe at some point in your ministry experience you worked in uh, maybe the preschool department here at Westridge or maybe in another church somewhere, you're, very, you're probably very familiar with a children's song uh, that was written many, many years ago about a little man, matter of fact, a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree. How many of you have heard the song before? Okay, we'll, we'll save you from, we won't sing it together this morning. My wife goes, please don't sing that song. So, um, but he, this guy climbed up a sycamore tree because he wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he was passing through his town. Well, in all honesty, as biblically correct as the song is, it just falls a wee bit short of really capturing who this man really was and and what his encounter with Jesus was really all about. So I thought this morning, as we continue this series, that we would take a little closer look at this man's life and and his life-changing interaction that he had with Jesus because I think that some of you in this room this morning, you're going to find yourself in this man's story. And if you don't find yourself, I promise you, you know someone who is... It, it, you know someone like him. You, all of you have Zacchaeus's in your life because Zacchaeus was a desperate man. He was a desperate man who was searching for something to fill a huge empty void in his life. And one day in his own town, quite possibly, maybe even around his own kitchen table, he has an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. Well, who is this little guy, Zacchaeus? And what, what is this real story all about? Well, Let me set up the scene for you if I could. Jesus and his disciples are walking uh, to Jerusalem. They are on their way to Jerusalem and they are going through the town of Jericho. Why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Well, he was about to give his life on a cross for us. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, we're going to start reading it. It said, he entered Jericho and and was passing through. 
And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on up ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house. No, that's not what he said. (laughs) He said, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, and this is funny to me, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is sinner. That's what they're grumbling about. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Zacchaeus' salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. And then Jesus says this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So here's what we know about Zacchaeus, just based upon these 10 verses, and that's pretty much all we have about him, is that he was a short guy, he was a rich guy who made a ton of money by being greedy and selfish. The Bible tells us he was a chief tax collector. In other words, he had a very powerful job. And so back in the day, you need to understand, tax collectors were actually hated uh, by, by many people because they overtaxed their own people. And so Zacchaeus was here, this Jewish man who quite honestly picked the wrong profession because the Jewish people, they viewed tax collectors as traitors, not only as greedy and selfish, but as traitors because they actually worked for the Romans. And as you may know, you probably know, the Romans during this time not only ruled the world, but they ruled, they ruled over the, the, uh, the nation of Israel and over Jerusalem. So because of his job, he would have been rejected and despised by the Jewish people, his own people. And again, the Romans who are now in power during this time, they would have tolerated him, put up with him because they needed the money he collected. So here he is, he's, he's hated by his own people, he's tolerated by the Romans, but all of this caused him an even bigger problem. Because of his connection with the Romans, who were Gentiles, they weren't Jewish, they were Gentiles, the Jewish people actually looked down upon him, not because he was short, but because he was spiritually unclean. So here you've got this guy who is hated by his own people, he has no friends, he's tolerated by the people he worked for, and he's not welcomed in the church. He can't come into the synagogue. They don't want him there. He comes to the door and someone meets him and goes, sorry, you can't come into church today. Now, the Bible makes note of something that I think is important. The Bible tells us that he's small in stature. He's a little guy. Now, I want you for just a moment, if you can, to put yourself in Zacchaeus's shoes. And you may have never really thought, you know, deeper about the story than just the song that you've heard. But quite possibly, here you are, your size causes you to be ridiculed, to be maybe even bullied from the time that you were a child, uh, to be pushed around. Your job causes you to be hated and despised. So everywhere you turn, there's rejection. But from the outside, you appear to have it all together. You, you're, you, you're, you have a powerful job, you're wealthy, you seem to, to have it all under control and control of your life. And, 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 and definitely, you certainly have control of some of people's lives around you. But truth be told, you're lonely. You're isolated. You seem to have everything except for what you really want, which is purpose and meaning in life. And as I've thought about Zacchaeus this past week, I thought about 
a classic song from the, the, the duo group Simon and Garfunkel. How many of you have ever heard of Simon and Garfunkel? All right, a lot more hands in the first service, but they wrote a song in 1965, which, by the way, was the, song, was the year I was born. And, uh, and, and here's what it says. Some of you will know this song. It's called I Am a Rock. It says, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. But I am a rock, I'm an island. Don't talk of love, I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I've never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock, but I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielding in my army, armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. I, when I think of Zacchaeus and who this man was, that, this, is the, this is what I think of. A guy whose life really was, was, was a complete wreck. And yet, from, from the outside, everybody thought, this, this guy's rich, he's powerful, he's a rock, he's an island. And, and that's probably the, the image that, that Zacchaeus wanted to portray. But truth be told, I think the best thing, the best word to describe Zacchaeus is that he was a seeker. Now, the word seeker's gotten a bad rap over the years, but quite honestly, Zacchaeus may not have been seeking after God when he climbed up the tree. He didn't know what he was seeking after, but most likely he was a man that was seeking after something. He was seeking after, after life. He was seeking after purpose. Inside of him was this lonely man that was looking for more, and he's on a pursuit to find the answers to life's questions, which is basically, who am I, and why am I here, and where am I going? Zacchaeus was a man, here's what you need to know, he was a man who was spiritually lost, lost within his sin, and he was a man who had no future, no future spiritually, outside of ending up in a place called hell. But somehow, he heard that a man named Jesus was coming to town, and he desperately wanted to catch a glimpse of him. And in his mind, he could have been thinking, is, is this Jesus who people say he is? Can he, can he really truly heal people from illnesses? Can he really perform the miracles that we've heard you know, people talk about? Can, can this guy actually bring meaning and purpose to my life? And here's the fact. We all know people like Zacchaeus. We all know people who appear to have life together. They have wealth. They may have some power. They may have influence. They may appear to be happy, but it's all a facade. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's, a win, it's window dressing because inside they're lost. And what God has called every one of us to do is to join him on his mission to share with these people the life-changing message of salvation and hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Now, over the years, I've talked to so many of you and even within my own experience about the, about the barriers that we all struggle with when it comes to, to sharing our faith. I mean, I mean, for some people, a lot of people, there's, there, there's things like the fear of, of, of rejection. What if somebody rejects the fact that I'm telling them about Christ or rejects my story or, or the fear of failure or the fear of, of maybe not knowing enough about the Bible? And what if somebody asks me a question and I can't answer it? And there's so many things that hinder us from sharing our faith with people. But if you take that and flip it over for a moment, there's also... A lot of times when we're engaging in the, in the life of a, of a, of a Zacchaeus, the, the Zacchaeuses of the world, and we just can't seem to break through the walls that, that, 
people have put up. We run into these barriers that people put up that actually hinder them from coming to Christ. What, what are some of those barriers? Well, if you think about Zacchaeus for a moment, for some people it's just their position. Here's Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. And I promise you he had to work really hard to get to that place because it was a, a pretty important job. And so for, for Zacchaeus, it could have been a pride issue. If I come to Christ, if I put my faith and trust in Jesus, what are the Romans going to think about me? If I come to, to, to Christ, my goodness, what are the Jews going to think about me? Because they already don't like Jesus, especially the religious crowd. So here his position could have been a barrier. For a lot of people, it's, it's just their possessions, their stuff, their material things. Verse 2 tells us he was wealthy. Materially, I mean, Zacchaeus could have had anything he wanted, wanted to have. And yet Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 25, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. You go, what does that mean? It means that for a lot of people who are extremely wealthy, who have everything that the world has to offer, it's hard sometimes for them to see that they're lost and in desperate need of a savior. Because they've, they've obtained whatever the dream is that's out there. For some people, it's their feelings of, of just unworthiness, which is a whole other story. Verse 3 tells us, here he was small in stature. And, you know, just like today, you think about back then, I mean, this is a guy who could have been bullied, ridiculed, made fun of as a child, maybe even as a grown man. And maybe he felt inadequate and unworthy of, of forgiveness and salvation. And a lot of people today feel that way. For whatever reason, there's no, I don't, I, I'm not worthy of salvation. I'm not worthy of what Jesus has done for me. For other people, it's the crowd. Verse 3, Zacchaeus, I mean, just from a physical standpoint, he couldn't see Jesus because he was small because of the crowd in front of him. And a lot of people don't come to Christ because they're, they're concerned about the crowd. High school, middle school students, I mean, if I come to Christ, my friends are going to think that I've lost my mind, especially since they know so much about me. We're concerned about our family. There's people who, you know, I've had friends over the years, Jewish friends, Muslim friends, who have put their faith and trust in Christ. On one hand, they get thrown out of their family. You see that in, in some of the, in, even in Catholic families, sometimes you get tossed. For other people, you, you may put a death sentence over your head. But people know you, and if you come to Christ, what are your friends and coworkers going to think about this? And then for, for, for some people, it's just their sin. That's the barrier that keeps them coming to, to Christ. If I put my trust in Christ, I've got to give up this or that or this or that. And that's what a lot of people think. And I want you to know that to come to Jesus Christ for salvation, Jesus doesn't ask you, God doesn't ask you to clean your life up first. He says, come to me, receive salvation, and then I'll take care of all of the other stuff. Now, because of all these hindrances, you know, a lot of times sharing your, your faith with people can be discouraging. But I want you to remember, it is not our job to save people. It's our job to share salvation with people. And we have to also remember that it's the Holy Spirit that not only gives us the ability to share our faith, but it's also the Holy Spirit that is working in the life of the person that, that's causing a person to seek after the Lord in the first place. In John chapter 6, 44, it says, No one can come to me, Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You, you've heard me talk about this over and over. Inside people, Ecclesiastes 3.11, is this, is this God-sized hole, it's this God-shaped hole that can only be filled by a personal relationship with Jesus. It can only be filled by God. And Zacchaeus is a great example of a man who obviously tried to fill that hole with 
possessions and position and power. And to the religious world, he probably was this hopeless cause. But something was going on inside of Zacchaeus that represents the same thing that goes on in the life of every seeker. As the Holy Spirit of God was at work in Zacchaeus' life, God was placing inside of him a desire to seek after Jesus. And Zacchaeus said, listen, I'm not sure exactly who this guy is, this guy that everyone's talking about, but I've got to get a closer look at him. I've, I've got to find out more about him. Rumor is that this guy does miracles. Rumor is that this guy heals people. Rumor is this guy changes lives. And I need a life change right here. So verse 4, we see him running ahead, climbing up a tree. And I mean, can you imagine what was going on in his mind at this moment? Word has it that this guy actually eats with tax collectors. Matter of fact, I've heard that one of his disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. And imagine the scene. Here's Jesus walking into town through Jericho. Jer- you remember Jericho? It's mentioned in the book of Joshua. Jesus is walking through Jericho, and people are coming up to him. Grab- Everywhere he went, crowds gathered. People are grabbing him. People who are ill, who, are, who you know, have diseases, they're just trying to touch him because they may, be, may, they may get healed. I mean, they're trying to touch his clothes. They're calling out his name. And yet Jesus stops at the base of this tree stops and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus up in the, in the tree and he says come on down from that tree because today I'm going to your house now I love what happens next verse 7 and when they saw it who's they the religious people of the Pharisees they're watching what's going on even maybe some folks in the crowd and the Bible says they grumbled and here's what they say he has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner What's up with this guy? What's up with this rabbi, this teacher of the law? Who who in the world does he think he is hanging out with sinners? In other words, what kind of man of the that what kind of man is this that actually hangs out with sinners and and then goes to their house and actually sits down and eats with them? And imagine what must have been going on in Zacchaeus' mind at this moment. Out of all the people in the town, Jesus wants to hang out with me. He could go to any house. He, wanted, he, he, could, he could pick out any person. But he wants to come to my house. And Zacchaeus had to be thinking, why me? Why does he want to go to my house and hang out with me? And quite honestly, I think it's a fair question that we have to ask. Why Zacchaeus? There's, there's, there's thousands of people around. I mean, here's a guy who's a swindler. He's greedy. He was despised by society. I I, I doubt very seriously that he was invited to very many dinners and parties. I mean, the religious crowd nailed it when they called him a sinner. Why Zacchaeus? Well, here's the truth of why Jesus wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was the only guy in town that had direct TV, NFL (laughs) ticket, Sunday ticket. And Jesus wanted to go check on his team and update his fantasy scores. That's not true. Some of you are going, you serious, Clark? Listen, here's the true story. Here's the true story. The Holy Spirit was at work in Zacchaeus' desperate heart, drawing him to Jesus. And Zacchaeus was determined to get to him, maybe not even knowing what he was, why he was going, but there was something going on in his heart. There was conviction. I've got to get to this man so much that he's willing to climb a tree just to see him. And Jesus was well aware of what was happening in Zacchaeus's heart. He knew his emotional, spiritual condition. This wasn't just some random meeting. This was a divine appointment. Some of you are here today. It's not random. It's a divine appointment. 
But here's a man in distress being drawn to God by the Holy Spirit. And Zacchaeus is responding, determined to seek after Jesus regardless of what he has, has to do to get to him. And Jesus doesn't turn him away. He actually says, let's go hang out at your house. Let's have a meal together. Let's spend some time together. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is actually a promise that God makes to Israel. He says, come to me, pray to me. And when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. If you will seek me, you will find me, especially when you seek me with all of your heart. And some of you here may be able to identify with Zacchaeus. You feel inadequate to come to Jesus. You feel fearful to come to Jesus. What if, he, what if Jesus turns me away? What if my sin is too great? What if, what, if I, what if I've crossed a line in God's eyes that just I can't go back? God has, he doesn't have the ability to forgive me. Listen, Jesus specializes in people who feel inadequate. Jesus, the Bible says he actually opposes the proud but gives, gives grace to the humble. Jesus specializes in the fearful. Jesus specializes in those who feel like they're failures. He specializes in those who feel like they're outcasts, those who feel lonely, those who feel like maybe they've made a mess of their life. Listen, Jesus specializes in sinners. Aren't you glad? Because we're all sinners. And some of you need an encounter with Jesus today. You need forgiveness. You need a rescue. You need meaning and purpose in your life. You need salvation and I love, I love this. This is, what, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. He says, listen, ask and it will be given to you. It, 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 seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Look at how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. He flies down the tree. The Bible says he joyfully welcomes Jesus into his home. And then he says this. He says, behold, Lord, he said, the, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything... I'll restore it full, fourfold. Now, what, what's going on here? Well, the love and acceptance of Jesus caused this man to come to grips with the poverty of his own soul. We don't know at what point in this story this man comes to Christ, but it happens. He, he receives salvation. This selfish, self-centered, lonely, greedy man has now come to the end of himself. He had seen himself for who he really was, and it caused him to repent of his sin. The Old Testament law said if you stole something from someone, you had to pay them back plus 20%. Here, Zacchaeus was not only willing to give everything back that he had stolen from people, he's willing to add 300% to the total. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the first time in his life, Zacchaeus understood what it meant to be forgiven. What it, what it meant to feel, to be made whole, to, to, to have new life, to, how, to now have meaning and purpose in his life. Why? Because he had had a personal encounter with Jesus and he received salvation and it changed his life. This is, this is such a great story on so many levels. It's a great story of life change. It's a wonderful picture of, of who Jesus chose to spend time with and that should give us all hope. For many of us, it takes us back to one of the very first Bible stories that we may have learned as a child. But maybe more than anything, it gives us this wonderful look at how Jesus chose to engage sinners. I want to just take the, the rest of our time, just a brief moment if I could. I want to lay out the strategy here for how Jesus truly engaged sinners. And I want to tell you, his mission, he says it at the very end. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who is that? It's us. God sent his son Jesus to seek and to save those of us who were lost before we came to Christ. 
And here's the first thing. Here's Jesus' first strategy. He was ready. He was ready for whoever God brought along his path. He was ready for Zacchaeus. When Jesus was walking into Jericho, he, 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 he was looking around. He knew he, knew he was going to run into Zacchaeus. I mean, here, person after person grabbed him. But God was working in the heart of this little guy in the tree. And Jesus was spiritually sensitive enough to know where his father was at work. And I believe that God is always at work in the lives of those around us. The problem is sometimes we're not spiritually sensitive enough to see it because we're too busy with our own agenda, our own things, our own problems, our own plans. You know, we don't even realize that all around us, God is working in the lives of people and he could possibly be lining us up to, to intersect with their story. But we've got to get to the place where we're spiritually sensitive enough, sensitive enough to know it, to be on God's plan. Listen, God is not willing, the Bible says, for anyone to perish, for anyone to die without him. He's always drawing people to himself through his Holy Spirit. But like Jesus, we have to be ready for those opportunities. We have to to constantly be looking, God, where are you working so I can join you? The fact is, again, there's seekers everywhere. I I remember 9-11, the events, the the Sunday after 9-11, we had something else planned, and then all of a sudden, Everything, you know, that, that happened in New York and in and D.C. and Pennsylvania unfolded, and we changed our whole service, created something on the fly. And we had the highest attendance. It was in 2001, obviously, but the, the highest attendance we had ever had up to that moment. Easter, Christmas, all of that. Why? Why, why, did, why were people coming out of the woodwork just to be in church, not just here, but all over, all over our country? Because for a brief moment, people looked at their money, looked at their jobs, looked at their positions, looked at their schedules, and everything was meaningless to them. People began to look for real purpose in life. It made everyone evaluate. It made everyone take a deep look inside. And it was an opportunity for the church to show the world what truly mattered in this life. I think we're in the same season like that. I really do. The second part of Jesus' strategy is he met people where they were spiritually. He just met them where they were spiritually. Jesus looked at this tax, tax collector. It didn't matter to him. He looked past his rough exterior, saw this, this man's insecurity, and met him where he was, right there on his own home turf. Jesus didn't come into Jericho and go, hey, Zacchaeus, guess what? I'm having a re- revival meeting. You need to come to it. Or, I'm a, listen, later on this evening, I got a tent set up. You come to the tent meeting. Or, hey, Zacchaeus, come with me Sunday to church. Or back in this day, it would be Saturday. No, no, Jesus walked through the streets rubbing shoulders with people. He held their children. He comforted them. He, held, he knelt down. He personally got personally involved in people's lives. Listen, if we're going to reach people who are far from God, we have to be willing to rub shoulders with normal people outside of this building. We have to be in, to, willing to engage them where they are. And here's the deal. We can't be shocked by their sin. Can't. We look at people, we judge people who are lost, and we go, I can't believe they do that. What else are they going to do? They don't have the Holy Spirit inside their life. They're acting like lost people. And we can't be shocked by that. You know, someone tells us something, and we're like, why? They need what? They need Christ in, in the deepest of ways. I mean, people tell me stuff, and I'm like, all right. Now, I think of the first, when I first got into ministry, I was like, whoa. But you hear so much, it's like, yeah. There's no Holy Spirit in there convicting them of that. The only, the only thing the Holy Spirit's doing in the life of a lost person is convicting them of their need for Jesus. The third thing he did is he engaged them personally. 
He ate with sinners. When Jesus called Zacchaeus down from the tree, he didn't give him a track. He didn't give him the Romans road. He didn't lead him through the four spiritual laws. Here's what he said. Zacchaeus, let's go to lunch. Let me, let me get to know you. Let me, share, let, me, let me share my life with you. Now, over the last several years, um, I've been encouraging our staff, our elders, I've been encouraging you to live a life on mission. And we've rolled out this acronym, BLESS. Begin with prayer. Listen. Eat, eat with people. Uh, serve them. Share your story. We want, to, we want you to get engaged, bless people, live on mission where you live, work, and play. Let's see that as your mission field. And so back in 2009, before we actually even rolled this out, I thought, you know what? If I'm going to tell people to do this, I, I need to model this myself. And for years before that, I had coached Little League ball teams and you know, all that stuff. And then my boys got into travel ball, and then they got into high school baseball. And it's like, once that happens, you don't coach anymore, obviously. And so I thought, well, how can, how can Amy and I continue to live, you know, just as normal people with, the, with all of these people that we're doing life with, which for us was the North Paulding High School baseball community. And then how, and then I had another thing going on. How do I let just people see me as a normal guy, just a normal dad, because, you know, I'm a pastor of a church like this. And so, you know, people, when they find out you're a pastor, it's like all of a sudden they change, their language kind of cleans up a little bit, but not always, all right? So I just thought to myself, well, what can I do? So Friday's my day off, and so I actually um, started going up to the ball field, and I started mowing. I started weed-eating and pruning trees, and so most every Friday when it wasn't raining or, you know, when grass was growing, and I was up there for about, you know, from about 7.30 till lunchtime, pretty much doing that from 2009 to 2014. And I've never told you that before, and, and I, don't, I didn't want to, but here's why I did it because it allowed me just to seem like a normal guy with all these people we were hanging out with. They started, I started working alongside of them. We sweat together. We, you know, they started you know, being themselves. It was funny. And, and next thing I know, I'm having conversations with people. I'm listening to what they're saying. They know I'm a pastor, but they also know more than anything, I'm a Christ follower. And they're saying to me, hey, can, can we go to lunch? And I can't tell you how many times I sat across from a dad of one of the one of the, one of the players, and they just tell me their story, and it would always end the same place because I would say, "Hey, listen, I know you know I'm a pastor, but I'm a Christ follower." The answer I'm not going to give you four tips on how and we're always going to land with Jesus because that's where we always land because He's the answer to every one of your problems. And sometimes I got rejected. Sometimes I had guys who I mean I I still know them. We still hang out. He just said, "I'm not ready for that." And then other times I had a chance to lead some, some guys to Christ and to watch some really cool things happen. But I had to be just a normal guy out serving people, acting like a normal person. And, you know, th- that's what we have to do. We have to get out of this building and engage people. We have to do the same thing. If you think about this for a moment, the first four books of the New Testament records 132 contacts that people had with Jesus. Six were in the temple, four were in the synagogues, but 122 of them were just out in life with people in the mainstream of life. Jesus lived his life on mission. That was his, the last part of his strategy. And I know, I know this is hard for some people to handle, but Jesus didn't just come to earth to be a nice guy or to show us how to live. He had a very, very specific mission. He said, I and I, the Messiah, have come to search for and to save such souls as this guy right here, Zacchaeus. 
Jesus had a purpose for coming to earth. He had a purpose for coming to Jericho on the day that he did. He had a purpose for walking down down Zacchaeus' street. He had a purpose for going to his house. God was at work in this man's life in Jericho. This man needed hope. He needed a rescue. He needed a new life. He was seeking for something to fill this empty void in his life. And Jesus found him, spent time with him, and his life was changed. Jesus was and is still to this day passionate about seekers, about lost people. The whole reason God came to earth in the form of a man was to seek and to save lost people. That's his passion. So how do we get on, how do we, how do we join Jesus on this mission? Here's what you've got to do. First of all, you've got to ask God to break your heart for your neighbor. You've got to think about this. That every day we are around lost people and God is looking to intersect our lives with theirs. With, their, with our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone that God brings along your path. And then we have to live out his strategy for engaging lost people. Same strategy he lived out is the same one he wants us to live out. Be ready for whoever bring God's along, bring, brings along your path, your neighbor. Just be ready. Meet people where they are spiritually. Don't be shocked by their sin. Engage them personally. Eat with sinners. Get to the place where you are so, so, so in the lives of people that are lost and need Jesus that they feel comfortable enough to just sit down with you and just to talk. But you've got to be a good listener too. Sometimes we don't listen well. We're just waiting to say the next thing that's on our mind. People want to, they want to, they'll pour, your junk, they'll pour their junk out to you. But we've got to live our life on mission. It's God's desire that no one should perish. The Bible says no one should face eternity without having an opportunity to receive God's free gift of salvation that can only be found through Jesus Christ. But we have to understand and own the fact that we have been called to be on that mission with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's given us the power to do it. We've been given the authority of Jesus to go out and to be messengers, missionaries, wherever we work, live, and play. That's our calling. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to just sit down and actually lead someone to Christ, to be the instrument that God uses through the power of the Holy Spirit, to say the right things, and somebody goes, yes, I want that. And you just, all of a sudden, you're praying with them. But I want to tell you something, when it happens, it'll change your life. I see it happen on missions trips where kids, some of our students or adults go, that's the first person I ever led to Christ. I'm like, how did that feel? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell someone else. And the next thing you know, you come back home and you realize, you know what, my, my school, the place where my kids play ball, the dance studio, the restaurant, my workplace, it's all my mission field. What I did in Nicaragua, what I did in Burkina Faso, I can actually do that here in Dallas, Georgia with the same results. Let's get on mission with Jesus. Bow your heads for a moment. Some of you are here today. I want you to know it's a divine appointment. It's no mistake you're here. You're seeking after something, but you didn't even know what it was until you walked into this building. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. There's a void in your life that can only be filled by Jesus. You say, what do I do now? You receive God's gift of salvation, his free gift of salvation, a gift of grace. You receive it by faith. Nothing you can do to earn it. If that's who you are, I want you to pray with me at this moment. Just say, Lord Jesus, Father, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. I repent of my sin. And I receive into my life your gift of salvation. What Jesus Christ did for me on the cross by dying for my sins, 
Lord, being raised from the dead three days later, I put my faith and my trust in that alone to be my salvation, to be my rescue, to be my redeeming story. And so, yes, Jesus, you are the Son of God, and I put my faith and trust in you alone. It's what Zacchaeus did. Lord, I want that. Head still bowed. If you're making that decision this morning, I want you to take your Get Get Connected card, fill it out, take it to the Help Center, or drop it in one of the buckets at the doors. We want to help you to take your next step with, with Christ. Lord, for the rest of us, would you help us this week to be spiritually sensitive enough every day to know that you're wanting to use our lives to intersect with the lives of those who are, who are seeking after you, who are being convicted of their need for Jesus. And we are your missionaries. We are your people, Lord. Help us to get to the place where we eat with sinners and have the opportunity to tell them about the life-changing, transforming message of the gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name.